Good morning, y'all. Again, my name is Brandon, and I am delighted to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. I am so encouraged by that video, um, and I hope that you will consider being a part of a Bible reading group or a life group or a connect group, um, the many different kinds of groups that we have to offer here, because we need to know each other. And we're actually displaying who we are as the body of Christ when we are part of said groups. We're continuing our um, True North series this morning and second week of um, race relations, which as you saw us read the scripture as we did this morning, trying to highlight what it looks like, um, what the gospel looks like in the world, how far and wide it goes. And it is local, yes, in the way that we celebrate and worship together as a local community, but it is global. And the gospel goes throughout God's word as scripture attests to. I've told you about my experiences in February with my classmates as we took our civil rights tour of the South. And I've I've shared some stories with you, but I want to revisit that a little bit this morning and some of the effects that that had on me as we move into our text in Ephesians chapter 2. We began our, our trek in Birmingham at the Civil Rights Institute there, and then we visited the 16th Avenue Street uh, Baptist Church where the young girls were um, murdered by the bomb. We visited Montgomery and the Equal Justice Initiative Muse- Museum and the Lynching Memorial. Then we visited Dr. Martin Luther King's church, first uh, pastor. His church, the church there in Montgomery, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And do we have those pictures, Greg, or are they? We may not have them, but I took a picture standing behind Dr. King's pulpit. And um, it's pretty meaningful. Um, we may not have those. That's fine. We, we went on down to Tuskegee, where we met with Fred Gray, who was Dr. King's attorney during those years. And he, he, met, he spoke to us in one of the, it was one of the most powerful two hours of my life. As we heard his stories um, from those years, he, he told us that um, in his estimation, and his experience, people just simply don't want to give up the power that they have. And I think Fred tapped into something powerful in saying that and true that, that really um, bursts the hate, the enmity that can be in between us is this, this desire we do have for power. We were in Selma where we met with, I told you, Um, Dr. King's fellow marcher, Joyce O'Neill, as she told us what it was like to march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge those fateful days in the 60s all the way to Montgomery. And we sat in that church, in Miss O'Neill's church, Brown Chapel AME Church, where Dr. King rallied everyone before the march, where Malcolm X gave his famous House Negro speech. We sat in the courthouse in Mississippi, and discussed racism for a couple of hours with two college students who led us in the discussion in the very courthouse where Emmett Till's killers were acquitted in the early 1950s. If you don't know the story of Emmett Till, I encourage you to look it up and read it. And we sat in the Mason Temple in Memphis as we remembered Dr. Martin Luther King's last speech, I have been to the mountaintop, where he talked of death And eternal life and hope in spite of the continued struggles that minorities like blacks 
and many others experienced even to that day and even into modern day today. And that night was the night before he was killed that he gave that speech. Unreal. We heard story after story that brought me to my knees in prayer because it was the only appropriate response to what I was learning and relearning and seeing. And it was so hard because I I think, you know, I think I love everyone. I'm not a racist. I'm a pastor. Surely I'm not. But I was brought face to face with reality like I'd never known it before. I'd never seriously enough considered the brutal, raw racism that existed not too long ago and still extends into today. It's not been done away with. It still lives within me. And as my esteemed professor, Dr. David Fleer, contends that slavery is America's original sin sin, and its effects extend to today, I stand before you this morning broken as we look into this passage in Ephesians 2. Because the truth is, as we traveled those roads through those towns, we saw the effects of what the church did not stand against strongly enough. And there are far too many examples in our world today of where there is inequity and hate and where the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ in the world, does not stand up and push against the darkness firmly enough. Friends, where is our citizenship this morning? Those of us who follow Christ. We must consider this, just as Jesus looked Pilate square in the eyes the night before he was killed and said, my kingdom is not of this earth. It is from somewhere else. And he didn't mean that we aren't supposed to be here. Quite the opposite. We are absolutely supposed to be here, but we are citizens of a different place, a place that is to come. We sat with Dr. Willie Brian Jennings, a professor at Yale on this trip, and he explained to us how the church itself, in his estimation, a brilliant theology professor and, and lifelong Christian, Dr. Jennings said, the number one issue facing race relations between blacks and whites in America is an issue of geography. We don't live together. We don't live in the same communities. And until we do, it's going to be very difficult for us to move forward very quickly. Now, I don't say this lightly, but I can't deal with these 13 verses with you in light of what we are trying to consider together in this True North series and not bring it up. So as we gather together today, and in a few minutes we're going to gather around the table, it is important for us to put it at the forefront of our mind, what equality really is, and what the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us as the body of Christ in the world to understand about it. We heard it this morning in different languages. Now hear a few of these verses together. Starting in verse 11. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, at that time, you were without Christ, 
excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. Now, the Gentiles were viewed as outsiders by the Jews, aliens and strangers, and they would have naturally had a hard time transitioning to, to accepting them. The Jews would have had a hard time transitioning to accept the Gentiles. But Paul was relentless in this text and so many others in insisting that the church host no divisions whatsoever. Both groups were alienated. The Jews from their position of being inside as God's chosen people, as we sang, he chosen the seed of Israel's race. But they were chosen specifically, not for privilege, but for responsibility to, as Scripture testifies over and over again, to tell the world what God is like. So they from the inside and the Gentiles from the outside, not being with God, not being without God in the world, both were standing far from God's ideal that was coming to fruition in Christ. This is what we proclaimed last week when we watched our fellow saints Brothers and sisters in Christ, go into the baptismal waters declaring who we are in Christ. And that is what Paul is getting at here in these verses, trying to help us understand who we are in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, starting in verse 27, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Got new clothes, as we talked about last week. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. What once was exclusively set aside for the Jews is now available and for everyone. We are in Christ. This is our identity. It doesn't mean we're not different. We are made uniquely. I hope you saw that on display as we read the scripture earlier. We should see color. We should celebrate color. But we are not better than anyone else. And for far too long in the history of human history, we have done this over and over. We have figured out ways to believe in our heart and mind that one group is better than another. And we cannot do that if we are citizens of God's kingdom. No one is more valuable than anyone else. There is no favoritism. There is no favoritism in God's kingdom. Verse 19 in Ephesians 2. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Our shirts last week said, child of God. Those aren't just words on a shirt. It's our very identity welcomed into the household of God. God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him. The whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. This is happening now, y'all. This is not reserved for some time in the future when Christ returns, but but it is happening already in the body of Christ in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus left, or left for us. Without Christ means without hope 
and without God in the world. With Christ means we are the church. And you can't separate Christ and church. Where you have church, you have Christ. Or you don't have the church. And where you have Christ, you have the church. Or the kingdom doesn't understand who the kingdom is. You can't separate the two anymore. Chapter 1 in Ephesians, verses 22 and 23 says, And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. It's, 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 it's text segments like this that help affirm, because I forget it so easily how important the collection of us is. The body of Christ, this is who we were made to be. And, and and I think we do a disservice sometimes by weighing more heavily our understanding of individualism in the kingdom, that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which we do. But we set that apart because we want people to decide to follow Jesus. But it's just as important, perhaps even more, that our community does follow Jesus. And that is what compels our individuals to decide to join that community, not just sign up for fire insurance. Individualism is a scourge, y'all. It stunts our growth. It is utterly selfish. Eugene Peterson says this about the individualist. The individualist is the person who is convinced that she or he can love their neighbors without knowing their names. The person who assumes getting ahead means leaving others behind. The individualist lives with a mindset of scarcity rather than abundance. And the church, the body of Christ in the world, is the antidote for individualism. Because we're not without God in the world. And everything about the world is soaked in God. In a study done this year by Lifeway, I I was... I don't know if I was shocked by this or not, but I'm so sad about it. And I want Harpathites to be so different than this. And the Bible reading groups are a huge help to that. But two-thirds of churchgoers in the United States of America, according to Lifeway Research this year, two-thirds say they don't need other Christians for discipleship. Now, we're saying exactly the opposite of that here. So I don't know if our strategy is going to work, Susan. I believe it will. But if two-thirds believe they don't need others for discipleship, we've got, to, we've got to work harder than we're working. Harville Hendricks is one of the founders of Imago Couples Therapy. It's one of the bedrocks of the practice is to help ensure that each person in any and every relationship feels that they have a voice in the relationship and that they're heard, like in a marriage relationship, which is so important in the church, that the the husband and the wife would feel like they are really heard by one another. And Hendricks has done great work in this. And early in his career, when he was in a general therapy session, he was was meeting with with a man who had schizophrenia. And this, this man would constantly insist in their sessions. Over the span of the first four or five sessions, he insisted, and it was, in, you know, because of his condition, he insisted that he was Jesus Christ. He would not be who his name really was, but he would insist in these sessions that I'm Jesus Christ, I'm Jesus Christ, over and over again. And Hendricks pushed back and pushed back because he obviously wasn't, and the man continued to protest that he was. 
And finally, Hendricks just gave in and said, okay, and, and, and just tried to see it from the man's perspective and said, okay, you are, you're Jesus Christ. And the man said, no, I'm not. I'm actually John Smith. And Hendricks was so confused. He was a young therapist. He said, what, what, what about the last several weeks of you protesting that you're Jesus Christ? What happened to that? The man with schizophrenia looked at Hendricks and said, I don't have to pretend to be who I'm not when I'm seen for who I really am. When I heard that story, I was so struck by it because it's exactly what I needed and what I need to realize and what I think you probably do too in the context of community and how important it is for us to be seen as who we really are. And that is somebody who was once without God in the world, but who is no longer without God in the world. And that defines who we are. And I need you to see me that way. I need you to remind me that that's who I am because this world and its individualistic nature teaches me something far different. And I'm weak, I confess to you this morning, and I believe it all too often. And I need to remember who I am. I need to remember who I am because I've got all these children that need to know who I am because it's going to factor into who they think they are. I pray, and your children too. This matters, y'all. It matters so much. And the way we divide ourselves against each other, it, it, it evolves from not understanding who we really are. That's the inception point of it. Do you see what this passage teaches us about who we are? Don't just, it's not just words on a page. When Paul says Jesus has demolished, that is a big word. A lot of our house is demolished by our children. Like this is, this is like traumatic for me to think about that word. You can't just say demolished. And pass over it. The wall of hostility that exists between you and any other person has been taken care of. If it's there, it's on us. Because God has taken care of it. Anything that separates insiders and outsiders, aliens and strangers, has been taken care of. There is a way around this, folks. We don't have to live in competition with one another anymore. In this house, I mentioned, I confess that I felt unsettled at the beginning, and I don't have to feel that way because this is a house of peace that Christ's very self supports lifts up, builds up, for he is our cornerstone and we can be welcoming to one another regardless of what we look like, regardless of what we look like. Jesus died. He lived, he died, and he rose again. And death has been defeated. And, and I need you to hear me. That means we don't have to hate one another anymore. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And that applies to any other person you could look at. Any other person anywhere. This is no longer a competition. Jesus has freed us from that. That's why we can all join together around these tables this morning. And just as we did last week, as we looked into the baptismal waters and celebrated with new saints, proclaiming that they wanted to be part of this group, 
We will proclaim that to one another today as we gather around the table. We can eat together because of what Christ has done. And it can be enjoyable. We can love one another. We can like one another. We can suffer together and trust that we're not going to harm one another. It's Christmas a few years ago. And there was a father and a daughter. And it was the first time that his daughter, who was four years old at this time, had asked about the holiday. He explained to her that the holiday existed to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And she wanted to know more about that, so they went out and bought a children's Bible so that they could learn more about Jesus. And she loved the stories. She wanted to know everything about Jesus. So they read about his birth and his teachings. And her dad explained astutely that Jesus taught the golden rule. That you would do unto others. Luke 6.31 is you would have them do unto you. And then they would talk about what that meant. Great place to start with preschoolers. And then one day driving by a big church, there was a crucifix in the front lawn of the church. And his daughter said, who's that? And the dad realized, oh, I haven't told that part of the story yet. And he said, well, that's that's Jesus. He, He actually ran afoul from the Roman government and the Jewish authorities, and he ended up on the cross. His message was so radical and unnerving that they came to the conclusion that they would have to kill him. And about a month later, after that Christmas, and her preschool activities were taking a day off because they were on the school school year calendar. It was Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. His, her dad decided to knock off work and they went to have lunch together. And at the diner they were having lunch, there was a newspaper on the table. And on the newspaper, there was a big picture of Dr. Martin Luther King on the front. And his daughter said, well, well, who's that? And the dad said, well, that's actually why you're off school today. Because we're celebrating this man, Dr. Martin Luther King. And she said, well, what did he do? He said, well, he was a preacher. And she said, for Jesus? He said, well, yeah, actually he was. But there was another thing he was famous for. You see, and you're trying to say this to a four-year-old, so it's, it's difficult. But her dad said he was a preacher and he had a message. And his daughter said, well, what was his message? And he said, well, you should treat everyone equally, regardless of what they look like or where they're from. And she thought about that for a moment. And she said, well... That's what Jesus said. Her dad said, well, yeah, I guess it is. I've never, never thought about it like that before, but you're right. That sort of does sound like doing to others as you would have them doing to you. And she thought about that for a moment. And then she looked up at her dad and she said, did they kill him too? When we come around the table together, we must remember what allows us to. Awful, the most awful thing that's happened in human history. A man completely innocent, completely lovely, but as Oksana said, he he bore our grief, our shame. He took our sin. 
So when we hate one another, we, we spit in the cross's face. When we hate one another, we go as far to kill our Savior all over again. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that for shock. I say that because I need to remember it. We're going to do this as we've done it a couple of times this summer. The band's going to come back up. Um, There'll be music playing, and these next few moments are for you. You're not in a hurry. We've got a few minutes left. I want you to take your time. Visit any of the tables that you'd like to. Deacons, go ahead and take your position at the tables to serve. Our true north is Jesus. And what he has done is no less than live and die for us. Taking all of the world's hate so that we will no longer have to. You are made to love one another. And as you visit the table and get the elements, take them back to your seat and consider this in light of our text this morning, in light of who you are in Christ. We'll take the elements together in just a few moments. The tables are open. Would you come?